The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report, what makes a pathogen a potential pathogen? Much like everything in functional medicine, it depends. No, no more of this depends. No, we're, we take a stand right no, here. We take a no, stand. No, The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. There's got to be something out there that the answer isn't, it depends. There's not. I mean, what's the weather outside right now? Depends where you live. Hello! Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How are you? Killing it. How about you? No one cares. Oh, uh, I care. Do you? I do. Well, thank you. How, I'm, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I'm great. I'm so glad to hear that. I hope everyone is doing well. And thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast called The Lab Report, which is brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. You know, it's a it's a place where we talk about things like mm-hmm. functional medicine, yeah. specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and the like. And I think people, if you like this show, you should go to iTunes or Spotify and maybe subscribe, rate, review, download, share with your friends, give us some stars, things like that. There you go. There's a laundry list of things for you to do. <laughs> Not only are you learning, mm-hmm. you get chores. That's right. What's more fun than that? That's right. Well, there's more chores because... Another chore they can do is maybe email us. I mean, that's an optional one, right? Oh, that's that's okay. if they're like, they really, they, they finished all their chores uh-huh. and they're like, I want more chores. Well, they should get a, re- a reward if they email us then. A reward, huh? You, yeah, re- like an allowance. people? No, like if you get your chores done, you get an allowance at home, right? What if we set up like a leaderboard? Uh-huh. Whoever's got the best question or the most questions. Okay. They go on the leaderboard and then at the end of the year, we give somebody who, we give the winner a, a, a gift. Well, where does this said leaderboard live? I don't know. Maybe. And who's maintaining this? That's just another thing for me to do. Travis? <laughs> Travis, got an idea? No. And there you have it. I mean, he's in here all the time telling Listen, us how to fix things, how to do things. Michael, we, I think, we ask know, him for one favor. The bigger point is you have all these grand ideas, and we're the ones that have to take care of it. So Anyway, podcast no. at gdx.net. <laughs> That's what we're trying to say. Podcast at gdx.net. Thank you for your emails. That's right. Chappers, what are we talking about today? Oliver, right on cue. I'm so glad you asked that question because today we're going to talk about stool testing. And you know, when I came to functional medicine from the conventional world, I had a pretty clear idea about what was a bad bacteria and what was not. Mm. And those lines are all sort of blurred here in functional medicine a bit. No, I mean, that's an interesting point, right? Because I would beg to say that you guys didn't even really think about good bacteria. You really just kind of thought about bad bacteria. And I think we can all agree that there are some bad bacteria, and those are the ones we focused on, because in conventional medicine, it's really just pathophysiology. What are the bad bugs? Let's go get them. I mean, it was pretty revolutionary to say that even like you guys were like, yeah, I guess there's this thing called the microbiome. (laughs) I don't know much about it, but let's talk about C. diff. Right, so we all admit... I'll concede this point that in conventional medicine, like I said, we just go for the bad bugs. And now on the front of Time magazine, there are some good bugs in our GI tract, the microbiome. But that's not even what we're talking about today. No, 
We're talking about the gray area in between in the, world? the potential pathogens. The bugs that we raise one eyebrow at. Hmm. Not both. Just one. Just one. If so you raise both sizes? eyebrows, that's that's like that's H. pylori right. or C. diff. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, holy cow. And if there's no eyebrows raised, commensals. That's right. So let's maybe talk about what we mean by potential pathogen. But first, where are we looking at these potential pathogens on a stool test? Well, that's kind of an interesting question, actually. I think we typically think about looking in the culture analysis Mm -hmm. for these aerobic bacteria that are considered opportunist in nature or or potential pathogens. So when we're talking about the word potential pathogen, it's really the fact that although some of these may live in a lot of people's GI tract, not everyone gets symptoms, right? Yeah. So they're bugs that have been shown in the literature to potentially cause some sort of clinical presentation, and most often when they are uh, overabundant, and that's when they might lead to GI symptomatology. But at low growth or low concentration in your GI tract, they uh, they probably aren't, they're probably just commensal. Okay, so I, again, it depends, because it depends on the level of growth, it depends on the host yeah. or the person or the patient and what their systemic issues are, so it does depend. All right, Miss Depends. <laughs> What is I don't it, like that title. What does it depend on? Well, I'll just pick one, for example, like someone's immune status, right? So if the host or the patient has a healthy immune status, it may not cause any problems at all. And it may depend on other things, like other balance of bacteria in the GI tract to keep things in check. Ah, right. Because it's an ecosystem. Yep. And so anytime there's shifts in the ecosystem, you could ultimately have more of these potential pathogens opportunists, as we say, right? They have the opportunity to take advantage of free real estate. Can we retire the name Miss Depends? No. Okay, you also mentioned the immune system. What's the immune system have to do with this? Well, think about the lining of your GI tract, right? It's Mm -hmm. a mucosal layer with mucin, which is part of the barrier that kind of keeps things from getting into systemic circulation. But the other piece of that is that class of antibodies that are made right in the mucosal layer, the fecal secretory IgA, which are kind of responsible for policing things, right? Yeah, exactly. And the majority of the microbiome is actually kind of living in that mucus layer. Mm -hmm. And as that mucus layer breaks down, now it relies on more fecal secretory IgA to maintain protection against some of these potential pathogens that might come on board and might trigger inflammation, and that's going to be what produces symptoms. So the mere presence of a bacteria like this may or may not be problematic. It kind of depends on other factors in the GI tract. So you agree it depends? I didn't say that. You sort of did, but let's move on. Hmm. All right, well, this might be fun. Let's just pick just a couple of this, the very common mm-hmm. potential pathogens that we see on the GI mm-hmm. effects culture section of the report and maybe talk about them. I'm so glad you asked because I Why? just so happened to have what? dusted off this here, this, uh, this old wheel here oh and replaced it with some potentially pathogenic bacteria. Look at this. I love the wheel. When, when did you have time to replenish the wheel with bacterial names? Lunch. All right, would that would that land on? I can't see it. I think it landed on Klebsiella. Oh, cool. Well, Klebsiella, that's its genus, but there are two different species that we commonly see on the GI effects. Yeah, and there's lots of different species. That's why we're kind of talking about it from a <laughs> genus level. Um, and so the the big ones that we think about are Klebsiella pneumoniae and Klebsiella oxytoca. Right. So two bugs that we consider potential pathogens. So they 
can be part of our regular microbiome. They can exist in our GI tract without causing any problems at low levels of concentration. But if they are at high concentration and they grow out you know, to high levels in the culture, there are some concerns from a clinical perspective. Like, Well, I would also say this. When I think about Klebsiella pneumoniae, it's a very common cause of hospital-acquired pneumonia and various diseases in the hospital. So I think it's important to realize we're talking about it just as it relates to the stool, right? Yeah, it, right, it, we're not thinking about the Klebsiella from your GI tract entering systemic circulation and causing pneumonia. Mm-hmm. We're well, talking about something just entirely different. Test, yeah, and I would say that to your bigger point, it's considered commensal, but when it's overgrown or if there's a dysbiotic pattern or a problem with host immunity, some people get diarrhea, right? Some people get a diarrheal illness. Yeah, and that's very common with the potential pathogens as a whole is that if they're up to no good and they're you know opportunistic and causing overgrowth, they could lead to loose stool, abdominal cramping, all those type of food poisoning type presentations. There is something else to be concerned about, and I think this is probably one of the most famous things about Klebsiella pneumoniae in the GI tract is that there is some cross-reactivity in patients who have a specific genotype called HLA-B27. Oh, yeah, the HLA-B27. Who could forget about that? <laughs> and what happens is that these people who have this genotype mm-hmm. and have Klebsiella overgrowth have the potential, not necessarily destined to do this, but have the potential to develop something like ankylosing spondylitis or myasthenia gravis. Mm-hmm. And um, th- that's just been what's demonstrated as far as associations in the literature between the presence of this bug and that genotype. There's also some associates, associations with Klebsiella pneumonia triggering Crohn's disease, which is also quite interesting. So obviously, when you see Klebsiella pneumonia grow out in the culture of a GI test, you got to immediately grab the weaponry and just go to town. No, 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 no. I'm not. I don't think we're saying that, Michael. Oh. I think when you see, though I love the sound effects, when you see Klebsiella pneumonia growing out in culture, you always go back to the clinical presentation of the patient. Are they symptomatic? What's the rest of their tests look like? What's their underlying clinical immune status? And really maybe thinking about other genetic factors too. So you're saying look at the root cause. That's right. Figure out why that Klebsiella is there in the first place. Is it because there's already a dysbiosis? Is there a microbiome deficiency? Is there maybe a little more gentler way that we could be <laughs> Don't pull handle- out the big guns. handling the situation is what you're saying. That's right. Well, if I could just play devil's advocate for a second. Sure. If there is these there are these associations with various diseases and yeah. there could be symptoms, the potential for pathogenicity, what's the argument against just hitting it with an antimicrobial agent? Yeah, well, so one of the things that you're doing there, anytime you use an antibiotic especially, but maybe even an antimicrobial herbal, is that you're creating a drastic shift in the microbiome and you have the potential to reduce populations of commensal bacteria that would be, in other ways, beneficial to the environment, to the ecosystem. And so the thing you run into is that if somebody, if you're going after a potential pathogen with an antimicrobial, you could potentially free up real estate for additional potential pathogens following treatment. And that's why we're always talking about recommending a you know, prebiotics and or probiotics alongside any antibiotic or antimicrobial treatment because we don't want these potential pathogens to come back in even greater forces. 
So it's almost like a spider web. You pull on a spider web over on one side, it's going to affect something on the other side. So you don't just go in there willy-nilly and just start mucking stuff up. Yeah, and so the counter-argument is that instead of going after with an antimicrobial agent, why don't you use something that's going to promote the growth of commensal bacteria and ultimately crowd out some of these potential pathogens? That's right. Well, with that, let's pick another potential pathogen from the GIFX culture section and talk about that. Hit the wheel. Round and round. <laughs> what it, I can't see it. What Proteus. It oh, Proteus. Yeah, we see a lot of Proteus on these GIFX stool tests. Well, tell me about that. Well, sometimes we see Proteus mirabilis. Sometimes we see Proteus vulgaris. But there are lots of different species of Proteus. But when we see a potential pathogen in the Proteus family grow out in culture, what is, what's the first thing you do, Michael? I break out the weaponry. <laughs> no, you do not. No, you do not. No, you're right. I, I look at the clinical presentation. I determine whether this is something worthy of treating. Is it causing any direct symptomatology? Is there a reason why it's there? Is there a microbiome deficiency? What's the root cause of right. it being there? And can I fix the root cause rather than going in and napalming the whole microbiome? <laughs> well, what's the most common symptom that you see in someone in whom you're like, oh, they're having a symptom? It could be the proteus. Loose stool, diarrhea. Yeah, most common. But there are some associations also with Proteus, much like we discussed with Klebsiella. There are some really important associations seen with Proteus. So one thing to note is that there's potential cross-infection between the GI tract and the urinary tract. Uh, and so that's just one thing to be aware of. The other thing is that there's some evidence to suggest that it could potentially be a trigger for rheumatoid arthritis, which is concerning and problematic. So when we're talking about does the clinical picture fit, whether you should go after it with an antimicrobial, you should probably lump in something like rheumatoid arthritis. You might be more concerned about its presence in your rheumatoid patients rather than somebody who doesn't have rheumatoid. That's so true. And it's all the more reason to look at the immune status of the patient, right? Things like fecal secretory IgA, the barrier, whether or not there's permeability and just to throw it out there the other one that gets all of the bacteria that gets thrown around with rheumatoid arthritis is Prevotella you just went right to Prevotella I had it on my wheel here you didn't want to spin the wheel again well I guess we could I just didn't want the opportunity to pass because I don't know what's going to happen with the wheel it's always tricky when you bring the wheel in and I never know what's going to come next I know honestly unpredictable I'm just going to spin the thing go ahead Hmm. Can you, I can't see it. Can you tell me what, what Why is Why can't you see it? It's facing you. <laughs> Citrobacter. Oh. Common. This is a common one. Yeah, it is common. It's We see that on all sorts of GI effects. Mm-hmm. It's so common. I mean, is, is it a pen, potential pathogen at all? You I mean, we think of it as like it? it's, it's kind of just part of the microbiome, right? Citrobacter. Well, well, yeah, but it's called a potential pathogen for a reason. And it's pathogenicity, even though some people consider it a commensal, there's potential there, right? Some isolates can have various toxins like shigalike toxin, Ooh. heat stable toxin. That sounds bad. Cholera B toxin, B subunit homologs. That's definitely bad. Yeah, like those are scary words, but really, some people get diarrhea. I don't know, Patty. Those words sound pretty bad. It makes me want to bring out the don't, big guns. Don't do it. Don't do it. What? Oh, sorry. Wrong hit, button. Hit the wrong button. Although, suddenly I'm craving Chex Mix. It's delicious. Anyway, I think we should summarize. Some of these main talking points, because we've talked about these different potential pathogens and maybe how to go about intervention. But like, I mean, what, what's, what, what, what what have we learned? (laughs) Well, we know in our gut, there's a lot of bugs. Some are really bad. 
pathogens. Yes. They cause disease. Like, we got to get rid of them. Pull out the napalm there. Some of them are commensal, and they're supposed to be there, and we need them in balance to keep us healthy. There are some that have the potential to cause problems when things are out of balance, and we've hit on a couple of them today. Yeah. And I think from an intervention standpoint, we always need to be careful anytime we're using any sort of antimicrobial because you're going to cause a shift in the microbiome. And sometimes those shifts, you know, depending on what bacteria you're talking about, take years to overcome. Mm. Sometimes they may never come. Some of the bacteria may never come back. That's not good. Lose diversity for Mm -hmm. eternity. Um, and sometimes it can cause a short-term shift, which then could allow more potential pathogens to come into the system. So you just, we always are thinking about being more stringent, more careful about our antibiotic use. And this is certainly in a time where you would really want to choose wisely, um, and correlate the potential pathogen that you're finding to the clinical picture. Yeah. Check for symptoms, check the immune status, check the balance of bacteria, see what else is there, check the real estate. Unfortunately, Michael, What's that? it's about that time. Well, Patty, we've we've got another uh, question of the day Bring here. It. I'm not scared. This one's from Joe. Okay. And uh, the question is, on the GIFX stool culture, mm-hmm. things are listed as 1 plus, 2 plus, 3 plus, 4 plus. What does that mean? Great question. And I will say, this is one of the most frequently asked questions that we get in the medical affairs department. And although we have a canned answer, I think it might be fun Maybe, why don't we just call Jim Kelton? Oh, yeah. Who's like our microbiology guru. That is a great idea. Let's give him a call and see if he'll answer the question for us. Jim Kelton, so great to have <laughs> you here. Hoping you can uh, help us out with this question. Thank you for having me. So, on the culture results, on the GI effects, what in the world does 1 plus, 2 plus, 3 plus, 4 plus represent? One plus, two plus, three plus, four plus is a way we designate the growth of bacteria. It's a semi-quantitative way of letting a clinician know how much of the bacteria is there. Um, There are cultures that you can do that would actually tell you exactly how much was there, but they're very time intensive and labor intensive. So we use this method to give a general relative amount of bacteria against each other in the sample. So what happens is we put a a measured amount of sample on an auger plate and we streak it out into four separate quadrants. And the bacteria, depending on how many are there in the sample, will be pulled out into each of those quadrants or not. So you may have, let's just say we had four different bacteria and one's in very low volume, it might only grow in the first quadrant. One's in a little bit higher quadrant, it will grow out into the second, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what one, two, three, four plus means when you see it on a a report. Got it. So it's essentially just how much of the plate it's really covering. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Awesome. And, And that's correlated to how much is in the sample in a very rough, like I said, a semi quantitative way. Right. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. That's it. Yeah. Thank you for your help, Jim. That was awesome. Awesome. 
Always happy to help. Well, I see that there was a bit of a conundrum there, Michael. What's the conundrum? You just literally mixed two segments together and had to choose between one jingle. You did question of the day and then scienceness, technology, and machine mechanics. How did you make the distinction and I decide? know. It was a tough decision. It was one of those things where you're confronted with your soul. Sophie's and choice. And you've really got to just decide. And at the end of the day, you know, you just, you hope you hit the right button. I think you did. I think you did. Okay. Yeah, and thanks to Joe for actually adding something constructive to this program <laughs> rather than his Poor usual Joe. inflammatory statements. Next time on The Lab Report, we talk traditional Chinese medicine with Dr. Donna Smith, the newest member of our team. Acupuncture and Chinese herbs. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. There's too many types of orange juice in the world. No, there's not. There's way too many orange juices out there. I look at it as pulp or no pulp. That's all I see. Then why are there 74 different cartons in the grocery store? Well, there's lots of different brands, but too it's many. sort of all the same. Too Just much like orange juice. Liquid sugar, and sometimes there's pulp in it. Ugh, gross. Nobody likes the pulp. No. Whoever brings that to the old brunch get-together, mm-hmm. get out. The worst. You can take your crunchy peanut butter with you. What? <laughs>